You're listening to Podcateers. Welcome to episode 291 of Podcateers. This week, Mel and I are joined by the editor-in-chief of the DizInsider.com, our buddy, Skylar Schuler. He joins us to break down the films that we can expect from the Disney company in 2020 and what he predicts they will bring in at the box office. It was a super fun talk and we're looking forward to having him on again soon. Make sure to follow the Diz Insider on Twitter and Instagram or by going to thedizinsider.com. We also continue our Hollywoodland talks with some history on Superstar Limo. We'd love to hear your thoughts on that attraction or anything that we talked about in this episode by leaving us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Just search for Podcateers. Before we start this episode, I'd like to take a moment to thank a very special group of people that we call the FGP Squad, because it's their support via Patreon that play a big part in helping make these episodes of Podcateers possible. If you like our podcast and would like to become part of the FGP Squad, you can find a link to sign up and more info at podcateers.com FGP. A huge thank you goes out, as always, to all of the members of the FGP Squad for your continued support. All right, it's time to get this episode rolling. Here is episode 291 of Podcateers. There we go. Sound check. One, two, three. Everybody getting a sound wave? (laughs) Yes, I am. Yeah, buddy. Here we go. Okay, so I have to say something, and I'm going to say it right now mm-hmm. because I kind of feel like a jerk. Because last year, I I had so much fun having you on, talking about the movies, predicting how they were going to do, and it took me a whole year to get you on. So first of all, I want to publicly apologize for being a jerk, and second, I want to say, welcome back, Skylar! Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm so happy to be back. Oh, we're happy to have you back. Yeah. Man. It's been a it's been a year. And I told myself I need to listen to the yep, go back to listen to that episode to see how I did and I never got to it. So I'm I, I need to go back and listen see how I did. Because I know we were predicting like box office stuff from last year and I can't remember if I did horrible or not. So Hey look man, if it makes you feel any better, I told myself the same thing and guess what? I didn't do it either. <laughs> <laughs> so so this is all as far as last year is concerned that's going to be maybe a blog post we're going to have to go back and probably put it in the blog post for the episode because as far as us talking about it this year i done messed up i didn't go back i didn't have a chance to check it and that's okay hey look life happens sometimes and you there just you, you just can't win them all and that's yep. okay that's okay, because we have an entire slate of films that we're going to be talking about this year. Obviously, there's a ton of changes that have happened in the Disney company. So we'll get into that shortly. But uh, for those that aren't familiar with you, Skylar, tell everybody a little bit about what you do uh, on a daily basis and what you bring to the masses. Um, yes. Yeah, so I'm Skylar Schuler. I used to run a little site called Disney Film Facts, which has now since changed to the Diz Insider. Um, You know, on a daily basis, I'm just covering the film side and slowly covering the parks uh, for the Walt Disney Company. Uh, It's getting tougher since the acquisition of 20th Century Fox, and we're covering Hulu now. So 
Um, it keeps the uh, the site pumping with content, and um, yeah, my my you know my daily routine is making sure I get up you know stories whether they're big or small. I have a couple people on my team. I kind of just downsized a lot of people on the site uh, recently, so um, you know it's me and a few other people. And uh, you know it's we're on Instagram. We're creating content on Instagram, Twitter, and uh, yeah, it's you know aside from that, we're just churning out the news like always. Plus, you also have an official podcast, right? Yeah. So we had we had. Mm-hmm. It's funny. This the decast has been a back and forth thing for a long time. Uh, we brought the decast back a few months ago. Um, they have six crazy hosts, which is crazy to me. That's why I never go on. I don't want to be the seventh wheel. <laughs> but you know what? They're all great, though. You know what? They they are. Um, one of the guys, uh, Sean, it was has been nice enough to kind of write a Disney history, uh, you know, news weekly kind of thing on it, monthly, I should say, um, where he kind of breaks down the history of the parks, which has been fantastic for us. Um, and they're just really nice people. They, the thing is the Diz Insider themselves doesn't have a podcast. So, you know, they're kind of, they cover every, they use our site and they just kind of talk about all the news that the site's broken. Uh, they do their own little reviews, which we kind of back and we host the podcast on the site. Um, and then they kind of, we just go from there. Um, it's a good group of people. There's so many names to name off. They know who they are. Yeah, I enjoy listening to the banter that you guys have back and forth, uh, especially when it comes to the movie stuff, because, you know, I'm not a movie guy. You know, I'm the I'm the Redbox dude. And, you know, we've had conversations, and, and I know you've gotten angry at me for not watching certain films. Uh-huh. I know Mel and Gavin are angry at me for still not having seen Rise of Skywalker. And yes, what? that is legit. I still haven't seen it. Oh, you need to see it. I just, I mean, I just have so much stuff going on right now. I know I say it all the time, but I, I really am like crazy, crazy inundated yeah. with work right now. And we have a lot of like changes happening in our life. And it's just, it's nonstop. Like there's times where I feel lucky if I get a couple hours of sleep. You know what? You know, sorry, so. sorry, Disney. Family comes first. Yeah, and th- and yeah. that's the thing, right? That we do this type of stuff for fun. We yeah. love doing it. But I want to make sure that these next few steps that we're taking in our life and these changes that are happening that they're going to benefit my kids, right? I'm sure. everything I do, regardless, is mm-hmm. to make my kids and my wife as happy as possible. And so once that kind of settles down, I feel like we're going to get back into a good little groove. We're going to get back into a more consistent recording schedule. And I want to thank everyone for their flexibility because I know Hazen's schedule has been super crazy. But nah, not but too you bad. know, it's part of life. You know, we grow up, we experiment, yep. we do things, and you open new doors and you try new things. And that's, I mean, you know, Walt believed in that. And so I believe in it, too. As you should. There you go. As you should. There you go. So <laughs> uh, as we kind of talk about some of the park stuff, I, I have something I got to throw out there. Look, we've talked about this before. We've talked about how Disney keeps getting cool new attractions and cool new things to do. But my pocketbook is still the same size. <laughs> and this last week, Uh-oh. apparently in Frontierland, inside of the Golden Horseshoe, there was what, Melissa? Dueling pianos. Dueling what? pianos. Now, mm-hmm. now, for <laughs> yes. those of you that may remember in the Armchair Imagineering episode for New Orleans Square, I proposed... 
that we had dueling pianos, just like they have in New Orleans. And I just thought it was a fantastic idea. Now, for the Golden Horseshoe, I didn't think about that. I didn't talk about it. I did talk about the Muppets kind of doing some kind of, you know, sketch comedy thing. But the dueling pianos, man, come on now. Where's my you know money? What's funny is they always seem to steal your ideas, but they haven't stole the one idea that you had brought up quite a few years ago that I've been backing forever, and that's turning uh, the People Mover into a Wally attraction. That's what right? I'm saying. Steal that idea, Disney. <laughs> right? Come on now. I still believe in that. I still believe in Mo just kind of rolling around Tomorrowland, cleaning things. I'm, I'm up. there with you. I like that. So, I don't know. I'm going to continue pushing it. Like, I will say, though, that after the ideas that we had for Armchair Imagineering in the Tomorrowland episode, I might be convinced that we totally need a bunch of Tron there. Yes, Uh, and thank you. I I think there needs to just be a resurgence of Tron. There's been so many rumors about bringing Tron back to life, whether it's on the big screen or the small screen. And I think with the release of Disney Plus, you have that avenue to release a movie or, you know, a series, which would then in turn bring the popularity back to the park. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you got the Tron ride coming to Walt Disney World, which is from Shanghai. And then um, do you guys remember Electronica? Yes. Oh, oh yes. It. I, <laughs> I was so disappointed when Electronica left for Mad Tea Party. Same. The, the whole daft punk music playing everything was glowing they had people throwing the frisbees the atmosphere and everything was amazing it was something different and we could just have that and just throw it into tomorrowland that would be perfect i mean even if we don't even get an attraction give us that look i you have to do it at tomorrowland right i mean i guess Mm -hmm. you could do it where you originally had it you know, in DCA, but I just think Tomorrowland's the perfect fit. I know the size isn't ideal, but there's so many things you could take out that you can throw Tron everywhere. Anyone who knows me knows that I am totally all for demolishing Autopia <laughs> and whatever building that is now, Launch <laughs> Bay, whatever it is, yeah. demolish it, turn it into something cooler like Tron, maybe put the coaster there, maybe put another attraction there and then just do electronica at night that'd be so much fun yeah we're totally on board with you man yep. especially considering that the tomorrowland terrace it has a couple of really great shows mm-hmm. but ever since they got rid of the the jedi show you know I, there isn't much there I, I will say that every time i see uh dj wendy walker Uh, performing there like she does a fantastic job right so anytime wendy's spinning i always try to make it a point to just go hang out listen to her and you know do what she does because she's so charismatic and you know she plays really great music obviously disney has her own playlist but she's just really great at what she does but i think if she spun for electronica like, it's the same thing, right? She did it for Mad T. She's done it for some of the other stuff that was there. She did it for Freeze yeah. the Night. Or, yeah, Freeze the Night was the frozen mm-hmm. one. Let's bring it back. Let's just Come do on, it. Come on, Bob. Right? We you know, know Bob's let's, watching. Let's just let's, put it out there. listening. Come on. Come on, Bob. <laughs> right? We, know, we right. know you're listening. He was uh, listening to that okay. episode. Dueling Pianos. I'm taking it. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I if I start seeing the Muppets inside of the Golden Horseshoe... I'm going to send a letter and start asking for that a damn would be paycheck. Oh, right? Man. Oh, and that's not even half of it. Aside from that, 
when we were doing the Halloween episode, we're talking like, oh, you know what would be really, really cool? Oh, this was Armchair yes. Imagineering for Adventureland. <laughs> yeah. We're like, you know, it'd be really cool escape rooms. That's something Disney doesn't oh. have. <laughs> and then this last week, they announced that they're workshopping possible escape yeah, rooms. Yeah, I heard that. Oh, my goodness. That's just insane to me. <laughs> Just hire Hazen so, and the team at the Podcateers already. So look, I'm just going to say this as nicely as possible. Where's my money? Or pass it. Or, or where's my free pass? <laughs> Give me a free pass and I will come up with all the ideas that you want. Give Hazen that cheddar. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> come on, Mickey. Spread the cheddar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> okay, so let's get into some movie stuff. Let's transition over to that because there's it's quite a slate going into 2020 because obviously in last year we only talked about Disney films, but going into this year we also have a bunch of Fox titles that are going to be released and of course we have the Disney Plus exclusives. So I won't get too much into the Fox titles because quite frankly half of them I could care less about. Um but I do want to talk about some of the Disney ones and get your opinion on how you feel some of those are going to do. So let's kind of jump into this here. Um, in March, and I hope I have all of them. If I'm missing any, please let me know. Uh, you're you're the movie dude, and this is what I remember. So March 6th, we have Onward. Yeah, Onward. That's the uh... So for those that don't know, that's two teenage elf brothers, which are Ian and uh, Barley Lightfoot. They go on a journey to discover the magic that's kind of left in order to bring their father who died, you know, you know, back for a day so they can kind of reminisce with him one more day. Stars Chris Pratt, Octavia Spencer, Tom Holland, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Um, this one, it, it was so funny because I was looking through all the movies coming out this year and I was like, what is going to be the hardest one to predict? And for me, it's Onward. It's directed by the guy who did Monsters University and people love seem to love Monsters University. It's You have two huge names in Tom Holland and Chris Pratt coming off of you know Avengers Endgame last year um, and the Spider-Man movies. Um, I think Onward is going to do well. I'm going to say that Onward does in the range of I don't think it's a billion dollar hit for the for the studio. I think I think it gets close. I think it's going to see inside out numbers. So 850 million to 900 million is probably my guess. Um you know, it and the marketing's been good. The trailers are really funny. What is kind of yeah. irking me though is it does not feel like a Pixar movie to me. It feels more Disney animation. But the story mm -hmm. that they're trying to tell is Pixar. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like to me, they're trying to bridge Disney animation with Pixar right here with this film. It just doesn't feel like normal Pixar to me, but I still think it's going to do successful just based on the marketing, the story, and, you know, the cast around it. Uh, so you bring up an interesting point because Onward is, you know, Gavin brought up this point that Onward is one of the first films that Disney Animation and Pixar are putting out. That's a completely original concept. It's not a sequel to anything. This is a brand new yeah. story. But what you said, I it kind of rang true for me when I first watched the very first trailer, right? Because the character style seems much more frozen than it does anything else that we've seen from Pixar. Like, it seems less refined and more cartoony, so to speak. And and that's weird to say for an animated film, right? But 
I, I understand completely what you're saying about the whole like Disney animation thing. Do you think that that's a, I don't want to use the word consequence because I don't necessarily think it's a negative thing, but do you think that a result of the fact that the companies have melded together a little bit more now that John Lasseter isn't at the helm? That, that's a good point. Here, what I like to think, or I, the way I would see it is, j- now this is going to be the first Pixar movie where John Lasseter has no involvement in the film, at least in the production of the film. Um, same with Soul and anything moving forward. Um, however, Frozen 2 is at $1.375 billion at the box office. Disney Animation is still the powerhouse animation studio. When they're on it, they fire on all cylinders. And, you know, that that same studio, when you think of like film studios with continued success, it's Pixar. Like you can put Pixar up there with any other movie studio and, you know, Pixar nine times out of ten is going to give you a home run. And Disney Animation, the powerhouse studio that is, I think that's a, it's, it's safe to say that the, you know, the bridging of the two uh, animation studios, especially in the develop uh, the developmental process is um, is going to be huge. I think that's a great thing. Um, and I'm very, very certain that uh, CCO Pete Doctor and Chief Creative Officer uh, Jennifer Lee for Disney Animation, I think they're going to work together very closely on their projects. Maybe not in terms of the development, but in terms of helping each other steer the ship in a way that's different than what John Lasseter brought us. They're going to try and tell us new stories. It's obvious there's a bunch of original titles coming out. So I think it's a good thing that the two studios are going to bridge together. Agreed. Okay, so this year I'm doing something a little different. I didn't do this last year. It seems like common sense, but Hazen doesn't always have it. I'm jotting down your predictions in my notes so that we have them available. (laughs) That's funny. So we can even revisit the – I mean, it's hard to revisit a month or two after because money keeps coming in, right? Like, look what happened with Endgame. Like, all of a sudden, China's in the game, and they're officially over 2.8. Yeah, it's crazy how the box office works. It's – um, I re- I remember like Aladdin's final theatrical box office numbers ended at the end of November. That's how, and that movie came out in what May? Yeah. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. The legs on that just didn't end because there's these there's small little movie theaters that just show films you know throughout that original release. It's it's insane. There's a couple of those two dollar movie theaters around in our area, and I mean look. It seems that whenever there's like a $2 discount theater that you're going to get like some slummy location, but they're not. They're actually pretty decent theaters. And I think because they make most of their money on concessions, I'm totally cool with paying the two bucks and then paying $74 for a tub of popcorn. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. So later that month, just a couple weeks after, we get our next live-action remake, Mulan. All right. This one was probably my second hardest to predict, and that's because of – I won't get into it, but all the backlash kind of surrounding the star and, you know, the status of um, things going on in Hong Kong that I don't think it's necessary to go into personally. So Nikki Caro, who directed this, she directed this movie called McFarland USA, which is on Disney+. Plus. Um, it's a little track movie starring uh, Kevin Costner. It's actually really good. Um, you know, it's a feel-good sports story. Yeah, yeah Nikki Caro, uh, so she's directing this. 
and it's got a really good cast you know some you know legends in you know chinese cinema with you know donnie yen who is in rogue one uh you know jet lee jason scott lee gong lee um, and then Yifei Lu, or Crystal Lu, she goes by a couple names, who plays Mulan. Um, she's like a superstar in China. She's a, you know, a pop star. She's a singer. She's an... Oh, wow. Yeah, she's been in multiple, you know, action films. One of, I think the one most familiar to people, uh, she played, she was one of the stars in um, The Forbidden Kingdom with Jackie Chan and Jet Li. Oh, okay. Yeah, believe it or not, that was directed by... Uh, Rob Minkoff, who directed The Lion King, the original uh, Lion King. It's a little trivia for you. Yeah. But she was kind of, she was kind of, kind of good in that. Like you kind of, you get to, if you want a sneak peek of how she'll be in Mulan, watch Forbidden Kingdom because you get a lot of action sequences with her. All right. This one's completely different than the animated film in terms of um, some of the liberties they're taking with the with the animated film. Uh, they're kind of focusing a lot on the classic poem. Mushu, there's nods to Mushu in the film, but instead of Mushu, they replaced it with a phoenix, which is a little more appropriate for Chinese lore. Uh, the music, there's no singing in this one, so this isn't going to be like Aladdin or Beauty and the Beast. This one's going to be kind of like Jungle Book is the best example I can give it, where you're going to hear, hear the music, but it's not going to be really sung by the actors. It's going to be played instrumentally in the background. Uh, okay. And you heard that in the trailer with Reflection. So they're taking some liberties. I like to yeah. warn people on that. But um, with this film, oh, it's so tough. It's I think there's so much there's so much hype around this. This is what what makes you know guessing the box office tough, is that you have that group of people who thinks this is going to be exciting because it feels different than the animated film, but then you have a group of people who wish it was more like the animated film so you know you got those two sides that clash which has always been crazy to me i see this film hitting a billion really? I, I just i do okay. i i think a lot so we look back aladdin did it beauty and the beast did it and these are the the upper echelon like animated films that you know people grew up with they love and i think mulan falls under that second tier with maybe okay. jungle book and jungle book you know got darn near close to a billion dollars making i believe like 975 million i i just i think mulan hits it i think there's gonna be so much intrigue with this movie because there's so much that's different and a different story they can tell um while keeping the same you know core elements of mulan and what she is and what you know that's her, you know, pretending to be a man, sticking up for, you know, her family and the country she loves. So I think it squeaks. I don't think it makes, you know, you know, bazonkers over a billion, but I, I think it hits that billion dollar mark. Right on. So I have to ask you, considering that we're talking about this live action remake, uh, you know, I think we've all talked about how we generally feel about it. And where do you stand on the whole, like, Disney remaking all of these live action features? I'm totally okay with it. Here's why. And I, I might have brought this up last year on, on, the, uh, on the show. I might not have. The way I see it is... You know, they see a they see a, a, a pattern of success. You know, they tried something, they saw success. They're seeing profits, and the studio, of course, is going to move forward with profits. Uh, anything they see that makes it a, a good profit. My thing is, is let's say uh, the best example I can give is I did not like uh, the Alice in Wonderland Tim Burton movie. 
I, I thought it was just, yeah. I thought it was bad. But that doesn't mean that the 1950s classic animated film disappears. You know, if I love right. two, I have two. So I loved, I liked Aladdin last year. I thought Aladdin was great. I thought it was great for what it was. That just means I have two different Aladdins I can, you know, enjoy. Two different Aladdins that audiences can enjoy. Different generations might even like the newer Aladdin more than the animated Aladdin. I just don't think it hurts the the essence or even the maybe the legendary status of the classic animated film that a live action remake came out. I just think there's two different movies you can enjoy. Cool. Okay. So with that, let's move on to Marvel's next chapter in the MCU. And that is black widow on May 1st. Ah, yes. This one takes place in between civil war and infinity war. Um, so it's it's a prequel to, you know, sadly, the end of a, you know, a 22 movie MCU uh, cinematic universe. Um, it's directed by Kate Shortland, who's done some indie work. It's, you know, the first lone female director. Uh, you know, you got Scarlett Johansson coming back as Black Widow. You have Florence Pugh, who's kind of a hot name right now in, uh, you know, the film industry. She's in that movie Midsummer. Uh, she's in Little Women right now. She's got, you know, she's just kind of building. You have David Harbour, who's, you know, from Stranger Things and Hellboy, and then Rachel Wise. I think Black Widow continues that, you know, billion-dollar trend for Marvel Studios. The trailers have been awesome. They just released a brand-new uh, special look at the film tonight uh, as we're recording this. It looks so grounded, and it's a nice palate cleanser from this huge, you know, team-up movies that we continue to get. Um, looks like a espionage thriller, uh, you know, th the Black Widow character is super interesting. I've always wanted to know a little bit more about her. I think it hits that billion dollar mark the same way Captain Marvel did. Yeah, I, I honestly, I think Black Widow has a little more name value and recognition than Captain Marvel does, obviously. You know, she's yeah. been around since the very first Iron Man film, so... You know, she has that legacy inside of the MCU and Captain Marvel, you know, we were in a way kind of blindsided with the character because of how we thought she was going to play this huge role in Infinity War and ultimately in Endgame. Um, but I, I like the character nonetheless. I'm not speaking ill of it, but yeah, I think Black Widow's going to do really well as well. Um, it's interesting because I think I made a comment about... I, I'm not interested necessarily in the film. I'm obviously interested in the fact that Scarlett Johansson is in it. But on top of that, <laughs> I'm very interested to see how the MCU is treated outside of the Infinity Saga and how mm -hmm. it continues. And obviously, we're going to talk a little bit more about that when we get to the November release of The Eternals momentarily. But that's really kind of where my headspace is when it comes to the MCU right now. Yeah, they wouldn't. Here's the thing. Marvel Studios, Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios wouldn't have developed this movie after Endgame if it didn't find a way to fit and set up future installments of either additional characters or characters that we already know. There's a reason this movie exists where it does. That's just how Kevin Feige works. He maps out five years in advance and he runs with it. Um, yeah. So there's a reason why this movie's coming out now and not before Endgame. Um, we just have to wait and see as to why. 
Yeah. And who knows? I mean, M- the MCU has become famous for the end scenes, right? After the credits, before the credits. And we have to keep in mind that just about a month before, the New Mutants is coming out. And now that the X-Men is back, you know, home with with Marvel and with Disney, it's very possible that we're going to start seeing the tease of Black Widow in the end of credits or the end scene of New Mutants. And it starts really, you know, integrating those characters into the MCU for us. Yeah, it, it, here's what's crazy. It should be it should be taken with a grain of salt, but it's, it's really interesting. The official D23 website kind of mapped out some of the, you know, spring movies that are coming out. And they highlighted the New Mutants. And in the little brief synopsis for it, the official D23 website had put the newest chapter in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, so they're dubbing that the first part of it. Yeah, so what they're saying is, because there was, I from what I had heard, and this is, this is just from, you know, close friends that are in this, you know, movie reporting space, that the movie, The New Mutants, was made with the merger in mind so if this is successful this movie was made to introduce mutants into the mcu okay i'm super excited about it now yeah so that in the trade the newest trailer that came out last week was amazing i i really enjoyed it super dark would be a great way to introduce mutants um however since then d23 uh the d23 page took that little uh, they actually took the whole New Mutants off the, the post. So I don't know if that was a mistake. I don't know if that was them not knowing. Um, but I think there's a strong possibility that the New Mutants falls in the MCU, you know, sooner rather than later. Interesting. I didn't know that. All right. I'm excited about <laughs> it. Uh, and I do like the fact that it felt a little darker, right? Because it it leaves that door open so that the general Marvel films are a little more lighthearted. They're a lot more fun. You can take your kids to watch them. But then you have the Fox side of it that puts out the Deadpools and they put out these darker versions, you know, that are on that R-rated spectrum. Yeah, and since they own the uh, studio, they can easily integrate these characters into their lighthearted MCU if they need to. Yeah, yeah. Sweet! Oh, man, I'm so excited about this. Um... Okay, the next film coming up later that month is an adaptation of another book series. I think we briefly touched on this when we kind of compared it to the Harry Potter series before, and that is Artemis Fowl. Yeah, that's right. We did. So we talked about this last year because this movie was originally supposed to come out last August and it was pushed back. Here's the thing. I love Kenneth Branagh. I find his filmmaking to be... um, very Shakespearean, which I love. I love the first Thor. I loved the Cinderella remake. Um, I'm a sucker for Shakespeare in love. Um, I like what he did with uh, Murder on the Orient Express, which now falls under Disney. Um, this movie just looks bad. <laughs> I I find no... I don't see how this can be successful. It, it you know this movie is four months away. We've ha- we got one trailer almost a year ago. Um, they haven't done really well marketing, it, giving us new posters, new peaks, talking about it. My guess, and this is just a guess, is I feel like give it a month or two. I think they move this movie again, and I think they move it to Disney Plus. Oh, interesting. Because oh, okay. right 
you're kind of sandwiched in between Black Widow and I believe Soul um, with Artemis Fowl. You're sandwiched between yeah. two movies. And I just don't think Artemis Fowl, which is not sure book readers and fans of the novels might, you know, have a love for this. Um, the average going movie fan or the average going movie goer has no idea what Artemis Fowl is. And they're not marketing it very well. I hate to say it. I, I think this movie makes at best $425 million, At best. And I hate to say wow. it because I love Kenneth Branagh, love Judy Dench, Josh Gad. Um, it, it, it's sad. I My guess, just like I said, just a guess, like a fun, if I was a betting man, I, I say it gets pushed. It gets the move to Disney Plus. That's just my guess yeah. overall. I hate to say it. It's I'm, I'm getting not Alice in Wonderland vibes, but I'm getting those vibes of these, you know, adaptations of you know trying to be your own harry potter slash um you know ender's game it's just it feels like something that's just gonna miss the mark a john carter a tomorrowland this is what i'm seeing this is what i'm predicting with artemis fell it's sad because i'm gonna go see it and i hope it's great um but i'm not you know i'm not optimistic for this film yeah. You know, the most interesting thing about it is that it's launching right after the Memorial Day weekend, which is traditionally the kickoff for the summer blockbusters, right? And mm -hmm. so it's interesting that they put Black Widow a month before and they put this one in that slot. So it's a it's you know, it's kind of a win win. Last year you had Aladdin get released during the same time period and Aladdin went on to make a you know, uh, a billion dollars where a year prior in 2018 solo got released and that you know didn't have the wheels to sustain the box office you know competition and 2020 is a stacked year this summer it's even with against its own studio you know it's it's gonna run into wow. pixar and another disney film we're gonna talk about here in a few minutes it's it's but it is you're right it is the kickoff to you know that summer movie season yeah yeah Okay, uh, so let's move on to June then. Let's talk about Soul. Oh, Soul. Um, so yeah, Soul is kind of more of a finding, uh, you know, the big picture in this cosmic universe. It gives me Inside Out vibes again. It's directed by Pete Docter, who directed Inside Out. Uh, it's got an awesome voice. The voice cast for this is so amazing. It's so diverse. It's Jamie Foxx, Tina Fey, uh, David Diggs, uh, Questlove from The Roots. Um, and it has these vibes of Inside Out, but it's instead of your emotions, it's your soul and how it connects with the universe. And we only we've only received the one teaser trailer, but I love original storytelling like this, and that's why movies like Inside Out work so well and Up and Wally because it's something so original that Pixar brings these things in you to life. You know whether it's your emotions mm -hmm. or your toys. This is going to be your soul, and uh, you know they're adding music to it, uh, primarily jazz, which is which interests me so much because. You don't get a lot of jazz in, you know, animated films and jazz is just like a wouldn't say it's a dying music, but it's it's something that's just so, you know, relaxing to the ears. You know, it worked so well with Princess and the Frog and this is going to be a little more modern. Obviously, it's not going to be taking place in the, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s. Um, it's going to be more modern. So I, I'm 
Soul's tough. I'm going to say this makes Coco money 750 million to 800 million. 750 to 800. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, it's so interesting to me that Pixar is putting out these films that make you feel like your chakras are unaligned, right? Because we have Inside Out, which basically talked about your mind, your emotions. We have this one talking about your soul. And then we had the short Inner Workings, which was right before, I believe, Moana, which was technically Disney animation, I guess. But it talked about your your body, right? And how everything is connected and stuff. So mind, body, and soul have now all been tackled by the Disney studio. So I... That's it's a just good one. kind of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so let's move on to what I think is going to be one of the biggest movies of the year outside of maybe Black Widow and one of the other uh, films that's coming up. And that's Jungle Cruise. Ooh, yeah. Oh, man. Jungle Cruise. What a what a first trailer. So interestingly enough, this is directed by Jean-Colette Serra, who directed that uh, Blake Lively movie, The Shallows, where she was on, stranded on a rock and a great white was coming to attack her. Um, very interesting choice. Uh, he's also known for directing a bunch of those Liam Neeson action movies uh, like Run All Night and Nonstop. Um, so, yeah, he's directing this. Dwayne Johnson, Emily Blunt, Jack Whitehall, uh, Jesse Plemons, Paul Giamatti. It's just a stacked cast. Um, and it's set during the 20th century. Uh, Dwayne Johnson plays a riverboat captain. Obviously, you know, piloting the world famous Jungle Cruise, you know, and they're trying to find this cure that possesses healing powers. I think you're right. I think this could essentially be the new pirates in terms of what it can do for, Ah. you know, an action film based on an attraction. I see this being more of pirates than, let's say, a um, haunted mansion. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is so hard. I'm going to guess. I'm gonna guess a billion dollars. So stuck okay. on this one. I think it. I think it hits that. This the cast is stacked. It's it's a it's a known property, known around the world because of all the attractions around the world. You know, star power. A prime summer release date in July 24th. Um, I, I do think it crosses a billion, and I think we see more of these films get greenlit, and I think this will. If this is as, as ex, oh, excuse me, if this is as successful, there we go. As I think it, it will be, <laughs> then I think Haunted Mansion gets pushed forward as well. Man, I would love that. I I, I really want another take at the Haunted Mansion. Yes, although <laughs> although I will say, look, I'm on record as stating that I've gone back and I've rewatched it since. And even though I was super against it because I just thought, no, no. <laughs> I I understand why it was made and I understand why it's as corny as it is and the audience that it was originally intended for, it fits, right? It fits that demo. So I totally get it. But yes, if we can get a new version of the Haunted Mansion, I'm totally on board with that. And if this is the gateway to that, open the gates. That's funny. That old Haunted Mansion film, bringing it back to Rob Minkoff again, uh, he directed that movie. So his name's coming up more than I thought it would. Um, I just like that corny. The, the reason why I like that cornier Eddie Murphy Haunted Mansion is because of the nods to the attraction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the singing bus, the candle that's floating, you know, the, the statues kind of watching you. It's 
that's what I liked. But I think with yeah. a director like, let's say, if Guillermo del Toro finally signs on to this and actually makes it, uh, his story was supposed to center on the Hatbox ghost. Like, that right. was like a pivotal character. So I think a, a darker take on this is the route to go. And like, like yeah. you guys, I think Jungle Cruise is the movie that can get the wheels turning on getting this project greenlit. Yeah. All right. So in August, we have the one and only Ivan. Yeah, so this is a movie that's been in development for a couple years now. It's uh, another one of those movies that has a stacked cast with, you know, Angelina Jolie, Sam Rockwell, Danny DeVito, Helen Mirren, Brian Cranston, uh, Ariana Greenblatt, and Brooklyn Pierce. Those are two younger actresses who are, you know, up and coming. Ariana Greenblatt actually played uh, young Gamora in Avengers Infinity War. Oh! Yeah, they mm-hmm. they showed a quick, 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 quick peek of this at D23 in their sizzle reel, but they didn't really show us a, a full-on trailer. Um, it's So it's based on a book, which is based on a true story about um, uh, a talented gorilla and some of their animal friends that live in this shopping mall. And, uh, you know, it's all about, like, friendship and the mall owners, kind of the bad guy and the little there's a little girl that wants to help free these animals and get them somewhere where they belong but um yeah it's supposed to be a heartfelt movie i i and outside of that i we haven't seen a trailer i it's coming out in august august is such a weird release date for movies um some films really can hit it and then some movies august could be the the turn of when you know summer movie season's over kids are in school is this going to be a movie that has legs? And I think the best example for that is Christopher Robin, which didn't do bad at the box office, but I bet it didn't have the legs Disney wanted it to have because that was released in like August, September. Um, with a movie like this, I just see it hitting $350 million. Nice. I just, I, okay. It could be that family-friendly film where it stands alone. There's n- maybe there's not a lot of uh, other films in that market. I just, I just think the release date's a little weird for a movie like this. Um, right after a, di- you know, kind of the dying summer movie season. Mm-hmm. So hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully this movie does make six, seven, eight hundred million. Who knows? Maybe a billion dollars. Fair enough. Uh, okay, so let's jump into November. Obviously, the start of the Christmas season, and that's usually what they try to capitalize on uh, during this time frame with Thanksgiving and stuff. We have The Eternals on November 6th. Yeah, so The Eternals, that's a, that's a movie directed by Chloe Zhao, who directed this really cool indie film called The Writer. So The Eternals are an immortal race uh, who live on Earth, and they kind of changed and shaped history as we know it. And they take on an evil version of The Eternals called The Celestials. Really, there's not a lot known on this uh, outside of the cast, which is... You know, Game of Thrones, Richard Madden and Kit Harington, uh, Kumail Nanjiani, who's just been on the rise as a comedic actor, Selma Hayek, once again, Angelina Jolie, uh, Brian Tyree Henry and uh, Barry Keoghan, who is in Dunkirk. So this is going to be a movie that really it'll tell us where Marvel's going to go in the cosmic universe is moving forward. Could this introduce us in a post-credit scene to a Silver Surfer or a Fantastic Four? I think this might be the perfect movie to do that, to introduce these kinds of characters. Maybe a Guardians of the Galaxy 3 tease, maybe Nova or Adam Warlock. 
Um, there's so much you could do. Maybe even Thor 4. Thor 4 is moving forward. So, um, you know, Taika Waititi is known for wanting to move these characters further into, you know, the cosmos. So there's a lot riding on this movie, I think. I'm going to say Eternals makes a billion dollars once again. There's so much hype around this movie. And I think once a trailer drops, that hype will be proven. Right on, right on. Uh, okay, and then at the end of the year, we're rounding out with Raya and the Last Dragon. Yeah, so what's funny is Raya and the Last Dragon is a movie I've been following for a long time in the developmental stages. This thing has gone through script rewrites. They want to nail this. Um, so it takes place in a reimagined Earth with five distinct lands. Uh, they kind of uh, the lands uh, are in the form of a dragon, believe it or not. But actual dragons are long gone, except for one, which is Raya. Or I mean, not Raya. Uh, oh, what's the dragon's name? Can't remember the dragon's name off the top of my head. Raya is the girl who uh, comes to meet the dragon. It's got Aquafina and uh, Cassie Steele. Aquafina, who's you know kind of a disney staple now or at least she's going to become one uh she's going to be in this she's going to voice scuttle in the little mermaid mm -hmm. and she's going to be in shang chi which is a marvel film that comes out uh in 2021 ryan the last dragon is going to be uh you know it's directed by dean willens and paul briggs they worked on big hero six and princess and the frog together it's an original Disney film that people want. The images they shown for this movie and some of the animation at D23 was just stunning. Um, it's really hard to say where this one will hit. I think with a new property like this, I'm going to say it hits Moana numbers. So I'm going to say $750 million, right around there. Okay. Seems like a good fair number for that one. Do you think that this has the potential of picking up some steam in January and February of next year? I, it's possible. I mean, look at Frozen 2. That's what Frozen 2 is currently doing. Uh, mind you, Frozen 2 is a little different because that's a you know a phenomenon now, a worldwide phenomenon. But animated movies that release in November seem to have great legs, especially from the Disney company. When you look at Coco, which ended up hitting north of 800 million and moana which hit like i said hit 700 million i think it topped off at 700 million um so yeah. i think november is a, a great release date for these films um it's a nice counterbalance to movies like eternals or at the time a star wars or those bigger block holiday blockbusters so and families are going to need to bring their kids to something you know during the thanksgiving day weekend through the holidays um, this is that type of movie that'll have those legs, and that's why I think it'll have Moana-type numbers. It's an original movie. People want to get to know it, and with these, if it happens to have those kind of numbers, maybe they tell more stories within that universe. It just seems like the type of film that can be great for world building. Yeah, yeah, very cool, very cool. Well, that rounds out all of the Disney films that are coming up in 2020. I think we're going to have to leave the Fox titles, some of the Disney Plus stuff for uh, a, a different conversation that won't be a part of this uh, episode, uh, mainly because we want to move on to our, our main topic for this episode. This month, we've been concentrating on Hollywoodland and California Adventure. Last week, Melissa told us a little bit about the area itself, some of the history, some of the stuff that we've seen, some of the stuff that's no longer there. And this week, I'm going to be telling you a little bit about Superstar Limo. So we'll be back right after this.
You know, many years ago, I started doing some freelance work, taking photos for businesses, realtors, engagement sessions, and family photos. One thing that I always struggled with, though, was finding a good solution for invoicing, and that's where FreshBooks came in. FreshBooks is the easy-to-use invoicing software designed to help freelancers and small business owners get organized, save time invoicing, and get paid faster. They offer super simple solutions that let you create and send professional-looking invoices in seconds. On top of that, FreshBooks offers great ways to track time worked, create estimates and quotes, you can run reports to see how you're doing, process payments, and if you ever have any questions, their award-winning support team is there to help. FreshBooks also has easy-to-use mobile apps for iOS and Android. Getting started with FreshBooks is extremely simple. You can try it free for 30 days by going to gofreshbooks.com slash podcateers. If you're looking for a way to help your business grow, help you with invoicing and billing, get organized and more, FreshBooks is there to help. So give it a shot and check out some of the great features that FreshBooks has to offer. That link again is gofreshbooks.com slash podcateers. It's time to get back to the show, but we'd like to thank FreshBooks for their support. All right, so we are back, and uh, I first of all, Skylar, thank you so much. You know, I I really yeah. I, I like talking movies with you. You know, I, I I respect your opinion on a lot of these, and uh, I I'm gonna have to go back and see how accurate you were. I'm still I'm still uh, really curious to see how well your predictions went, but a lot of these feel like they're pretty spot on, right? Disney this year or last year now, 2019. They did they officially cross the eleven billion dollar mark, or did they come super close? Yeah, in fact, it's at eleven point seven billion right now. Wow! 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 It crushed their own record, which I believe they set in two thousand sixteen, maybe, which was seven yeah. billion. That's just yeah. A, another studio is not going to do that ever. Uh, I'm not going to say ever, but I don't think another studio can do that with the amount of franchises that, you know, Disney holds now, um, you know, whether it's on the animated side, Marvel, Star Wars, there's there's just no studio that comes close to that kind of power. Um, Maybe Warner Brothers with Harry Potter and and DC, but it's, they're not going to see 11 billion. It's just not going to happen. The only studio that can cross these kinds of numbers is Disney. So it's a... It's a monumental mark that I don't think we'll see again. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy, man. Pretty crazy. All right. So it's time to jump into the history of Superstar Limo. Did you guys ever get a chance to ride Superstar Limo when it was there? No. I vaguely, vaguely remember it, but I was maybe nine years old, nine or ten when DCA opened and that ride came around. I, I remember clearly seeing Drew Carey, but that's it. <laughs> oh, yeah. He was there. So before we jump into the history of Superstar Limo, uh, I have to give you some background on DCA and some general history because it kind of plays an integral part in the legacy of this attraction and kind of how people remember it. So I'll be giving you some of the main points in the story, but if you want a deeper dive, uh, we recommend that you check out episode 243, where we talked about DCA 1.0, episode 244, where we talked about DCA 2.0, and episode 273, titled DCA Gets New DNA, where we talked about some of the IPs taking over the original concepts of the park. So with that said... 
please keep your hands, feet, and egos in the limo at all times. Let's get this rolling. Beep, beep. (laughs) Egos. Uh, So in 1982, Epcot had just opened at Walt Disney World and really helped make that resort a multi-day destination versus the single-day theme park experience that Disneyland was seen as. And so regardless of how well Disney World was doing, the company as a whole was kind of struggling financially at the time. So in an attempt to save the declining company, Michael Eisner was brought in to replace Ron Miller, who was then serving as the president and CEO of the Walt Disney Company. And although it had been floated around before, the idea of creating a second park in Anaheim really started to gain traction because Michael Eisner's top priority as incoming CEO was to save the company, and he felt that the way to do that was to create a second park in California. And yeah. so, and so yeah. the story begins. <laughs> uh, so several expansion plans were presented, including a resort in Long Beach that was going to be called Port Disney, which featured a new theme park called Disney Sea. When that idea fell through due to how popular Epcot was, Eisner wanted a a similar park to open here in California, which he wanted to call Westcott, which I guess would no longer be experimental then, right? Because if it's Westcott, it would be West City of Tomorrow, no longer experimental. I guess they would have flushed out all the stuff that was wrong with it by then. I don't know. Who knows? Pretty much. Yeah. So in 1992... Euro Disney uh, had opened and the company fell deeper into financial difficulties. So essentially neither park idea was greenlit. But Michael Eisner again had a vision, a vision that would cement his legacy as the guy that would save the Disney company. (laughs) But doing that wouldn't happen with Westcott, obviously. So in an attempt to save the second gate momentum that was already kind of rolling... A new idea was presented that would showcase famous California landmarks so that guests visiting California would stay at the Disneyland Resort and experience them without going anywhere else. And I don't know about you, but I thought it was a great idea. I mean, look, who wants to go see a real redwood tree when you can see a fake one? Right? Right. Yeah. (sighs) Save that gas. Yeah. Either way, the idea was greenlit. And then this $1.4 billion expansion was announced and a bunch of amazing concept art was revealed. The Hollywood area that was being built for California Adventure would have a recreation of the iconic space age looking theme building that's located at LAX, the Los Angeles International Airport. And this would be part of the facade for one of the e-ticket attractions that was supposed to come to California Adventure, a roller coaster like attraction called Superstar Limo. The storyline kind of integrated Michael Eisner into the story by greeting guests on the onboard picture phone because, you know, the future, as they were boarding into these limousines. And he was explaining that the whole concept revolved around them getting to the Grauman's Chinese Theater as soon as possible to sign a deal for the next big film. But... If they were caught by the paparazzi, 
the contract would be void. Kind of a horrible way to do business, but whatever. Of course, the attraction was always going to catch you because they took your photo halfway through the attraction. And of course, it would always void the contract. Which made me wonder, what happens when the cameras went down on the attraction? <laughs> Does that mean that all of a sudden everybody has a movie contract with Disney? I mean, loophole. Yeah. So the attraction was set to speed past famous L.A. landmarks and celebrities. The dark ride coaster hybrid was meant to make you feel like a movie star trying to evade the paparazzi and ultimately getting you to your destination, the Chinese theater. The exit would be via the red carpet and it would lead you right into the facade of the theater, which was a gift shop. But then in August of 1997, tragedy struck. As development for California Adventure continued, the world mourned as Princess Diana of Wales was killed in an auto accident as her limo driver was set to be attempting to get away from paparazzi. Since that was going to be the primary theme of Superstar Limo, Disney execs found it in bad taste to build an attraction that was so similar to the tragedy. So now they had this huge issue because California Adventure just lost its main attraction for the Hollywoodland area. Imagineers considered bringing an attraction from Walt Disney World here to make up for it, and some of those ideas included bringing the Hollywood Tower of Terror, the Great Movie Ride, or even Rock and Roller Coaster. But keep in mind that the company was still having a lot of financial troubles, and DCA didn't really have the budget available to bring any of these attractions to California. So Imagineers had to go back to the drawing board to kind of retool the attraction story, uh, so it wasn't so fast-paced as originally planned, and it didn't contain as as many paparazzi references. And even then, like, the, the ideas that were being bounced around, especially, like, the ones Michael Eisner had when, when he wanted to bring the Hollywood Tower of Terror, like, he had this crazy idea where he's like, well, you know what, let's make an attraction hotel hybrid where people can stay and ride an attraction. Like, why not mix the two and <laughs> shut everything down when something goes wrong? I don't think I would want to be evacuated from my room if something went wrong with an attraction. But I digress. Let's get back to the story. Michael Eisner, when they when they retooled the story, Michael Eisner was replaced with this creepy-looking agent named Swifty LaRue. I mean, if you haven't seen pictures of Swifty, we'll include some in the blog post for the episode. Just go check it out podcasters.com slash 291. As a matter of fact, I'm even going to include a ride-through of the attraction if you haven't seen it. It's it's something special. You just got to see it. Yeah. I mean, seriously, he's what <laughs> nightmares are made of. <laughs> so the enhanced ride, and of course I'm using the term loosely, um, was a bunch of psych gags, and Eisner just loved it. And and I kind of feel like this was one of those desperation move kind of loves it, you know, like mm-hmm. it, I, I get that he was a Hollywood exec and he understood all the references and there was a lot writing on this. So obviously he didn't want to fail. So I, I felt like it was one of those things where you just kind of like give into it. It's like, I, I love it situations, <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, But the entire attraction was just retooled after that. Like, the budget, 
the budgets were cut even further. And so the elaborate Chinese theater building that was supposed to be the, the show building and the facade for this attraction was cut entirely. And it was reimagined as a cartoony cardboard cutout look that it felt kind of like those put your face in this hole to take a picture sort of things, you know, mm-hmm. when you go to a carnival or a boardwalk or something. And if that wasn't enough, the budget for celebrity appearances was drastically cut. And so Disney was forced to use actors that were already on the payroll to avoid paying them anymore. And the figures weren't even full animatronics. They were just figures that happened to rock back and forth in some cases. In short, the new ride was horrible. The attraction was open for less than a year, between February 8th, 2001 and January 11th, 2002. After it closed, it remained abandoned for about four years, and Imagineers were considering just doing a complete overhaul using Disney characters that they would swipe away from different Disney stores around the country, and they were going to call it Goofy's Superstar Limo. Another idea that I thought had some potential was to use the Muppets and, of course, over several months, have them do the overhaul, have them comment on how bad the ride was, and then ultimately turn it into Miss Piggy's Superstar Limo. Alas, that was not the case. At least for a while, we had Muppet 3D Vision, so whatever. Since neither idea ended up being executed, the building remained abandoned. In 2005, something magical happened. Good old Bobby I took the helm as CEO and planned a $1.5 billion expansion of DCA, which included finally doing something with that ride and converting it to Mike and Sully to the rescue, which basically told you the story of the very first Monsters, Inc. movie. Uh, The insides were given new scenes. A lot of the same track was used, but some of the scenes that they added with the doors flying around like they did in the film just fits so perfectly. The fact that the CDA was around there, I think, was a much better story than used to be there. Uh, With very little budget to open this attraction, the Imagineers did a pretty amazing job at fixing the facade itself to replicate the doors sequence of the film opening and you know it allowed them to tell the story of boo within the existing building without tearing everything down and starting from scratch and using the hazen method of course all of the celebrities that existed were repurposed Um, not much went to waste they were just kind of redressed as cda agents because now that they were fired from superstar limo they had to go find work and now they were playing cda (laughs) agents inside of mike and sully to the rescue and that's it i mean now it's i think a beloved attraction which will be interesting to see what happens as Hollywoodland progresses now that we're having Avengers Campus opening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always thought that Mike and Sully to the rescue would be better suited somewhere near Pixar Pier, maybe get rid of Little Mermaid and move that attraction there. Uh, but it's difficult to say, right? I think it, it fits a lot better in that area. But what would you do with Mermaid? Like probably put it into Fantasyland at at Disneyland or something. But anyway, that's for armchair imagineering. <laughs> that a tease. <laughs> so there you go. That's the story of Superstar Limbo. The best ride of all time. <laughs> <laughs> 
All I could think of is for is everyone who hasn't seen the attraction, who's gonna see the attraction. I am sorry in advance. <laughs> yeah, brace yourself. It really is truly something special. And yeah. I remember all those specials that they had, where they had like Drew Carey and the cast of the Drew Carey Show coming out, and you know, riding the attraction with Rosie O'Donnell to really promote it. And they're trying to play it off like this is the coolest. And I get it, right? Disney they don't want to look like they screwed up, but yeah. like as I was kind of researching this episode, I really feel like. We've said how we feel about Michael Eisner, but like Michael Eisner was kind of the victim in many of these cases, right? Like he didn't know that thing was going to happen to Princess Di. Like that was just an unfortunate situation that he did his best to adjust to. So, uh, I mean, I don't know. The point is, the attraction was horrible. It's no longer there. Enjoy the YouTube video and tell us how you feel about it <laughs> by joining the conversation over on Facebook, Instagram, or on Twitter. Just search for Podcateers. All right. I think that's about where we're going to wrap up this episode. Uh, Skylar, thank you so much for joining us, yes, man. I really appreciated you. you coming on. Thank you for having me. Tell everybody again where they can find what you guys are doing and um, how they can connect with you. Uh, yeah, you can uh, find me personally over on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Skylar Schuler, where uh, you know I give my own film takes outside of Disney sometimes. Uh, you know, it's try to be nice. It's hard on Twitter sometimes, but you know, come talk to me. I love talking movies with everyone. And uh, check out thedizinsider.com. We're doing a lot of awesome things there. We're doing our best to continuously report on the news there, uh, throw out reviews. We're covering everything from Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, Disney+, Plus, Fox, Hulu, all of it. You name it, we're probably covering it. And, uh, yeah, the Diz Insider on Instagram, Twitter, social media, Facebook, uh, we're there. All our links to all our, our projects are there. And, uh, yeah, follow me and see if I'm right or completely wrong, which I think I am this year on my predictions. Who knows? Very good. Well, now we've officially taken the notes, and they're going to be a part of the blog post. I love it. So now we can go back, and we'll have the proof. So that's it. That's going to wrap it up. Skylar, again, thank you so much for joining us this week. Until next time, keep dreaming, keep moving forward, and always remember to pass on the magic. Have a great week, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.